You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast. The official free podcast of TheBarkBoard.com. And now, here's your hosts of the show, Lucio Arik. Look up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! I forget the rest. And Josh Webb. All right, Poindexter, sit down, shut up, and listen. That's how my father always began our football conversation. And if you'd like, after the game, I'll take you outside and teach you how to shoot close enough to a raccoon that it craps itself. Welcome back, everyone, to this special game day edition of the Red Wave Report. My name is Lucio, your host slash producer of the show. And, well... We've got an episode for you. Later in this episode, Josh Webb was able to get, uh, well, an interview done with Mr. Andrew Martin of CBS Sports, NBC Sports. You know, he's got too many titles to name here. But uh, they had an in-depth conversation about everything Fresno State football and pretty much dig deep as to try to figure out what's going on what's going wrong with this Fresno State football team. So it's going to be an interesting portion of the podcast for you, so stay tuned for that portion. And, well, you know, uh, hopefully people show up to the game tonight. I know Fresno State is taking on an, a UNLV team that, you know, theoretically is a beatable team for Fresno State and, well, making his debut again for the second straight game. Kilton Anderson will be starting as the Fresno State quarterback. Now, um, hopefully this is a sign of confidence and one that Kilton Anderson will be able to 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 kind of grow into that position and start building some confidence and uh, and really take command of this football team. So, you know, if if you're around, and I know the game's going to be on ESPN2 tonight, but but if you're around and, and you have the means, head over to the football game. Support these football players. I know a lot of you have had discussions about possibly boycotting the rest of the season, and I'll tell you what, that is, that is a bad thing to do. Uh, not only does it hurt the, uh, the football team moving forward, but it, it actually hurts the whole university as a whole uh, to actually fund these sports uh, that Fresno State has. So a lot of the other programs depend on the revenue from football. And if we're not showing up to the stadium, it is going to be a very difficult one for this program to kind of, well, you know, recover and head in the right direction. So, you know, I, I, I don't have to go to the games, but I choose to. I mean, there's something else about an atmosphere out there at these football games. And, you know, it's... It's better than sitting on my couch. Uh, I'll be honest with you. But other than that, I mean, I don't want to hold up it, it, you guys any longer than I have to. Um, and I want to go ahead and start off the podcast where Josh Webb, our uh, you know our Barkboard correspondent, sat down with Andrew Martin and basically talked everything about Fresno State football. Uh, so let's take a listen to that as they dig deep and try to figure out what's going on with this football program. And right now, I am being joined by my good friend, esteemed colleague, and one of the most knowledgeable Bulldog insiders around, uh, KC24, CBS 47, do-it-all, know-it-all, and be-everywhere man, Andrew Martin. Andrew, how you doing today, man? Game day. I'm, do- 
I'm doing good, Josh. That is quite the intro. Thank you very much. You are just as much of an insider as I am. I like I like to pep up my guests at intros, you know? Like, I, I like to make them feel like this is the WWE, it's WrestleMania, and, and I'm giving them the Lillian Garcia treatment as they're coming down to the ring, you know? Hey, if you want to make a WWE reference, I'll be Randy Macho Man Savage. Man, always one of my favorites. That was such a sad day for me. That was such it a was. sad day for me. Yeah, and I wasn't even the hugest of fans growing up, but everybody knows who he and Hulk Hogan are, and, you know, yeah, I was sad, too. You know, truth be told, with with regard to Hulk Hogan, and I'm not saying this because of all the stuff that's come out. Like, I I said this long before that stuff came out. I was never a Hulkster guy when I was a kid, man. Like, I was Team Warrior. Like, when, when, when those two went at it in Toronto at WrestleMania 7, like, I was firmly on the side of the Ultimate Warrior. I think the only time that I was ever a Hogan mark was right after Desert Storm had started, and they had taken Sergeant Slaughter and turned him to, like, an Iraqi general supporter. Uh, that that was, like, the only time that I was a Hogan mark, because, like, I really thought Sergeant Slaughter was was coming to cause havoc here in America, and Hogan seemed like the best choice to take care of him. But outside of that, I, I never really – I did I did enjoy when Hogan went to the dark side. But I don't think there's a fan out there who did enjoy NWO Hogan. My knowledge, unfortunately, is uh, not that deep when it comes to, uh, to to that world. I do enjoy it, but uh, I think, unfortunately I – I, I gave uh, my nerdism away there, Andrew. I think I just sold myself out. Hey, it's okay. I, I like Superman and Green Lantern. I watch The Flash and Arrow on the CW, so I have my own uber nerd tendencies as well. It's okay. I like The Flash, man. I like that show quite a bit. I, uh, I, it's I good, think, right? Yeah, I think the second season is off to a strong start. It's going to be interesting to see how they go forward with, uh, well, I mean, I'm sure Wells will make a return because, you know, in comic books, the bad guy is never truly gone. Right. Don't tell me. Don't tell me what happened in the second episode, though. I've DVR'd it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh yeah, nothing. Nothing. Nothing much has happened this season. You're good. I just think it'll be interesting to see what they do in the post Wells era and see how they move forward after uh, after the events of last season. But uh, isn't it sad that we spent like ten minutes talking about Fresno or uh, talking about wrestling and uh, and this it, it, rather than Fresno State football, and they kick off here in like what seven hours? Well, the, the challenge the challenge is putting this season in perspective because you and I have talked about it numerous times. We've talked about it with each other, with other people. We were trying to figure out before this season started if 2014 was the aberration or if 2012 and 2013 were the aberration years because these, these teams right now, the four years that Tim DeRuiter has been the head coach, they've had completely different teams. In 2012 and 2013, it was the same personnel, but when Philip Thomas and Tim McDonald were part of the team in 2012, the defense was phenomenal. The defense took a huge step back, you know, drop off the cliff in 2013, but when you have a guy like Derek Carr, who can pass for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns, and you have Devontae Adams, Josh Harper, Marcel Jansen, Isaiah Burst, etc., they were able to overcome some of the deficiencies in the defense. And then last year's team with those several three-game streaks of starting 0-3, then 3-3, then 3-6, then 6-6, etc., 
you know, and trying to find an identity at quarterback, we were wondering going into this season if that was going to be the case again in 2015 because we know the quarterback, you know, carousel continues to spin, and obviously Kilton Anderson's going to end up playing tonight, and he's the fourth-string, you know, quarterback, or was the fourth-string quarterback before the season started. So I, I think the, the name of the game each week right now for Fresno State is trying to stop the bleeding. This is a program right now that, for lack of a better phrase, has been hemorrhaging and is trying to get back on the winning track. I mean, there's still half the season left to play, and you don't want to keep losing conference games and losing them by a wide margin. Yeah, and it certainly seems that, you know, this team, the, the, in games where you think that, okay, they're going to respond, it's obvious that they need to do better than last week. Last year there seemed to be a response. You put out a call, you got a response. This year, you put out a call, and you just hear your own voice echoing. I, I, don't, I don't feel like the team is responding. And I'm not saying that they, they, they put it all together last year and overcame a ton of adversity. But even just, I know they needed help, too. But they had to do what they had to do in order just to even reach that Mountain West Championship game and, oh, and though they got the help, you could at least see a bit of fight in them when they had to go to Nevada and get that win. You know, we, we talked about San Jose State or San Diego State, you know, one of those being a must-win game by virtue of the fact that that now means Fresno State will have – these other two teams would have to lose twice in order for Fresno State to have any shot at, at defending their division title. And instead of looking better – They've progressively gotten worse each game. Why is why was last year's team able to even put up any semblance of fight, whereas this year's team seemed to be rolling over? Why does it seem to be getting worse? That is an excellent question. The only thing that I can think of is because the coaching staff, um, you know, is is having problems right now replacing the guys that the team has lost, and it's a thing that every team in college football will go through, you know, peaks and valleys, ups and downs, with it seems the exception of Boise State and Alabama, you know, teams that are always there competing for their respective conference championships, and obviously in the case of Alabama, you know, this year is a quote-unquote down year for a team that's ranked outside the top ten, but, you know, we've we've heard Coach DeRuiter say numerous times this season that the Bulldogs are young. They are young. They have 65 freshmen and sophomores. Um, they don't have the senior leadership that they've had in the past. And even last year's team that went 6-8 and eight had three guys who got drafted. You know, you had Deron Smith and Tyler Davidson and Cody Whitman who were leaders, you know, of that team. Josh Harper probably should have been drafted. He would have been a fourth guy. Um, I don't know why there's been such a huge drop-off from 2013. You know, you can point to maybe recruiting, and maybe they didn't get all the pieces that they were hoping to have. Maybe you point to the competition that they're playing, because, you know, we've seen, and we've said this numerous times before, the Mountain West is typically a strong conference of the non-Power 5 conferences, but the Mountain Division is much more polished at this point than the West Division. You know, having said that, though, you can't expect 
you know, those teams to not make improvements each year. And San Jose State is a better team this year than I think most people would think. UNLV is a better team this year, too. And they got that, you know, influx of, you know, of new blood with uh, with Tony Sanchez as the head coach. And certainly we'll see what happens in tonight's game, you know, at Bulldog Stadium where UNLV is favored by, I think, six and a half. But ultimately, I think it just comes down to, you know, the execution on the field. Because, and Coach DeRuder mentioned this as well, every player who's on the team, you know, deserves to get a shot to play. And everybody who's on the team, you know, is putting forth the effort. And I've been to numerous practices, and I see, you know, the the guys with the energy and the effort and the execution in practice. For some reason, though, it's not translating to the field. And I don't know the reason for that. You know, I mean, I'm not getting paid a lot of money to figure that out, but I am just as curious as everybody else to wonder why, um, you know, it's not translating from practice to the actual game days. And half the players, you know, are saying every week, it's, you know, well, we're not getting that payday at the end of the weeks. It's, you know, maybe the other team wants it more. You know, maybe Fresno State just isn't as talented this year as it has been in years past. I mean, the Bulldogs are not in these games. And that's probably the most, you know, concerning statistic for all, you know, Bulldog fans out there is, you know, yeah, they're losing games, but they're not losing games 45-42. They're not losing games 21-20. to they're getting blown out in all of these games, and they're getting blown out in games that they should win or should at least be close in. I think everybody expected them to get blown out at Ole Miss, you know, or at home to Utah, but San Jose State, I mean, Utah State, a team they've beaten six times before, and a team that was coming in with a 2-2 two and two record, you lose by 42 points at home on homecoming. I mean, 19 points per game on offense, too. 19 right. points per game on offense, and they hung up a half a hundred on Fresno State. Right. I mean, I want to posit a theory to you, and I want you to tell me if this sounds plausible, if this sounds outlandish, or, or well, I, I just generally I want your opinion here. So I've been talking earlier this week with, with several of our guests that I've asked to uh, uh, look over maybe some attrition stats, and I know you've seen me tweet this stuff on Twitter. <clears throat> now, as we look at the attrition in Fresno State's classes, you notice that a lot of the guys that have come in or transferred in uh, with any sort of name or clout behind them, where are, they at, where are they at right now? You know, everybody talked about guys like Bobby Johnson, Michael Lazarus, and Xavier Ulitu having it being able to have an immediate impact because they were about, you know, three-star guys that have been four stars. Had it not been for a great issue, oh, they're gone. You know, uh, Tyrell Robinson, he's going to make a, a great addition to Fresno State's run-stuffing beat. Oh, he's gone. And, 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 and you look at the players that they're promoting in their stead. Now, this is nothing against a guy like Jacob Basket. But if Bobby Johnson, who was a three-star and being heavily recruited by USC, washes out, and you replace him with a guy like Jacob Vasquez, I just don't know that you can expect to see the same results. Now, sticking with USC, because they just had a coaching change, one of the things that Helton said when he took over the job and that USC is now pushing as their new slogan for the rest of the season, which is ridiculous in and of itself, but I digress, it's iron sharpens iron. Now, the reason I bring that up is because if you look at the amount of guys who have left the program, Scobie, Robinson, Lazarus, Ulitu, and I'm not saying they didn't need to go, but if you look at the fact that that talent has been 
removed from the program and not replaced, it is, it, is it entirely possible that what you're seeing in practice where you mentioned that you're seeing the energy, you're seeing the understanding, it's not that it's not translating to game day. It's that what they're practicing against simply is not good enough to prepare them for game day. That's possible. Uh, th that is a 100% plausible, rational explanation. I can't confirm that because we're not allowed to be at practice for longer than, you know, 20 minutes or so before they close it off to the media. But what I'm seeing, I'm seeing a team that is trying its best. You know, but yes, there of course are cases where your best may not be good enough. You know, if Fresno State had Tom Brady at quarterback, the Bulldogs are probably still losing to Ole Miss by three or four touchdowns. I mean, it's the talent level in the SEC is much better than arguably any other conference in the country. I mean, the Big Ten and even the Big 12 this year, you know, has teams that are ranked very highly and has very good competitive teams, but we're talking about a different style of football in those conferences. There is no reason why the Bulldogs cannot compete for a Mountain West championship every single year, and I'll use Boise State as the example. Does Boise State, you know, have the ability to recruit better players than Fresno State? No. I would argue, Fresno yes. is, I would argue actually, yes. In, in see, I would disagree. Team, I would disagree with that based on the simple fact that Fresno, in the heart of the San Joaquin Valley, there are so many Division One athletes that are either overlooked or guys who have multiple opportunities to play at schools with you know, the Pac-12 moniker associated with it. But if you grow up in this area, we've seen guys from this area go on to other schools. We've seen guys go to Fresno State and be successful. Boise is so far tucked away in the Pacific Northwest that you have to travel so far to find recruits, and a lot of the guys they get are so overlooked by other schools that they develop into players in Boise, but you have an opportunity in Fresno to get guys who can step in right away and be stars. We saw it with Ryan Matthews. We saw it with Derek Carr, obviously. Travis Brown even, you know, I think he was a four-star guy when he came out of Clovis West. I mean, there are guys in this area, you know, who well, are talented guys. enough to make... I just want to make an argument for Boise here, and I know you cover the program. I look at guys like Tyler Horton, uh, you know, uh, uh, Brett Rippon, uh, so on and so forth. Even uh, who was the young four-star that they had committed to, to Boise State at quarterback before Pete left, and then he wound up going to Washington. Um, they, but, but when you look at the type of guys that Boise gets in any given class, Virgil, in my opinion, well, I mean, outside of Derek Carr, like, but, but the car, I think, is just almost an automatic for Fresno State. When, when, but when you look at just normal, non-related people to Fresno State, I think Boise, in general, pull better recruits on a yearly basis. And that's because they've sold a brand in recruiting that people identify with. See, Geruder said something interesting to me once upon a time. He told me that the way this team goes about recruiting is by telling recruits, look, you can go to those schools in, in, in the Pac-12, like your Oregon State, so on and so forth, and you can try and fight for a New Year's six spot uh, with one of those schools in, in a much deeper and much more difficult conference. That's fair. Uh, we would understand that. But if you come here, we're going to do a lot of winning, and you're going to have the same chance to get to those games. Now, again, this is what he was saying when they were winning. You're going to have the same chance to get to those games, uh, uh, actually a better chance, 
than, than your Oregon State's of the world. So that's what Deruder believes to be the, the, the selling point of coming to a mid-major like Fresno State. The problem is that Boise is the one who's delivering on that. They're the ones with the BCS wins. They're the ones with the memorable victories and the DVDs and the moments that people talk about. And, and as I don't know how many times we've discussed, Andrew, what is the most talked about game in Fresno State history? 2005 against USC. And that was a what? Loss. See, Boise talks about the biggest games in their history as upsetting Georgia in Georgia, upsetting Oklahoma in the 2000 Fiesta Bowl. And I think that when you're walking into a recruit's house, even though Fresno State has the talent located here, I don't think they've been effective at recruiting it. And that's where I think I think I agree with you in principle that Fresno has the better talent from which to choose. I just don't think, whether it was Hill or DeRuiter, that they figured out a way to corral the Central Valley talent and shuttle it in, into Fresno. Well, you're never – you, you mentioned Tyler Horton. I mean, you're never going to get every single athlete, you know, of a high caliber you right, know, playing but Horton style. Horton said he wanted to I know. check out Fresno, and they didn't offer him. This isn't one of those situations. This was a kid that they – that said to me time and time again, I'm just waiting on that offer. And it never came until it came when it was too late. Like, that's that's sort of my problem with how Fresno State recruits the Valley. And I'm wondering if some of that stuff, by virtue of missing out on that kids, when you're going into practice on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, how many of those kids whose their only offers were from, like, Lamar or Prairie View A&M, or whatever obscure Texas school this staff beat out to get some of these kids, how many of these kids are going to sharpen you up as much as a Tyler Horton or as much as a Brett Rippon or, or some of these guys that Fresno State just isn't landing at this point? I'm not disagreeing with the thing that you're saying. My only point is, based on location alone, throw out wins, throw out coaches, throw out history, based on location alone, there is – exponentially more talented players in the heart of California than there are in the Pacific Northwest of Boise, Idaho. So based Absolutely. on location based on location alone, Fresno State should have arguably the best um, and I'll even say better than you know than the other teams in California, San Diego State and San Jose State. Fresno State should have one of, if not the best recruiting classes in the Mountain West every single year. Now Agreed. we know the coaching staff. Well, hang on one sec. We know the coaching staff has ties to Texas, and obviously Jason Virgil is a guy you know who came from Texas who has a very bright upside. Most people, myself included, are not going to care where a player comes from if they win. But I know this because I've heard it from fans. I've heard it from plenty of people, um, you know, around the community. If the team doesn't win and they're not winning with players from outside the area, you're going to hear those rumors and those whispers start to get louder about why aren't you recruiting players in your own backyard. That's something that Pat Hill did very well, you know, from Sacramento to Bakersfield. He found Devontae Adams at Palo Alto. He got, you know, Ryan Matthews and A.J. Jefferson and Philip Thomas from Bakersfield. You know, he got the guys from the Valley. You know, DeRuiter has 
looked at Texas, you know, as much, if not more so than California, which, again, is totally fine if the team is winning. If it's not winning, people are going to question why you don't get the players in your backyard where you don't have to hop on a plane. You can just drive 50 miles and go check out a kid at a high school who probably, in the case of Tyler Horton, is dying to come to Fresno State. So that's my only point. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. I'm just saying Fresno State has all those resources in its backyard. And I completely agree with you. I just I completely agree with everything you just said. I think I think we were arguing the the the, the, same, the opposite sides of the same point. What Fresno should be doing, they aren't, but they should be doing it. There's no reason for this stuff not to be happening. And I, and I think we both feel the same way about that. But looking ahead, what can they do right now? As you see this team, there's there's been some arguments on our boards. Is it the offense? Is it the defense? Uh, obviously, we could say it's both. But if if I'm if I'm an athletic director, I don't know that my best course of action is forcing my head coach to change both coordinators because at that point you might as well just fire the head coach because they're not going to do that financially. They can't, and we'll get into that more in a minute. If you had to let one go. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, or maybe let me rephrase that. If you had to change something, and it doesn't even have to be a coordinator, is there something or someone that just doesn't, like, it doesn't feel like it's clicking? And, again, we're not trying to call for somebody's job here, but when, when you have this many losses, these types of conversations inevitably are going to boil up because something is not working. In your estimation, are the problems more on the offense? Are they on the defense? What, what do you – how would Dr. Martin diagnose this? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's funny. I don't, uh, I don't know, um, and, and I know that that's a cop-out answer. I don't feel comfortable saying that the offense or the defense is the problem right now because both are the problem right now. I mean, their defense is giving up close to 600 yards you know, a game. I think they gave up almost 500 yards to Utah State. Their offense isn't putting up enough points on the board, and obviously at San Diego State, where they only had 89 total yards, you know, that's a problem. But their defense was also giving up, you know, almost 300 yards to both, uh, what was his name, Price and then uh, Pumphrey as well. So um, aside from special teams, which is playing well this year, you know, and getting some turnovers, I don't know what the problem is. The example that I would use is, and granted, we're only halfway through the season, so a lot can change between now and then. Maybe this year's team is able to put on a run like last year's team did because we all thought that, you know, after the Wyoming loss last year, that Fresno State was pretty much done at that point. And then the Bulldogs won three straight and made it back to the Mountain West Championship game to finish the regular season with a 500 record. This year's team still has six games left. What I think the Bulldogs need to do is to take the Billy Bean approach, you know, to use a baseball reference. It's like uh, from the movie Moneyball when Brad Pitt's sitting in that room with the scout and he says, guys, you know, if we try to play like the Yankees out there, you know, in here, we're going to lose to them out there. And that's the thing. I mean, you're not going to be able to go out and get any new players for the rest of the season. It's unfortunate that two quarterbacks are shelved for the rest of the year. You're going with Kilton Anderson, you know, and or Zach Greenlee if something, you know, changes. Those are your quarterbacks for the rest of the year. So they need to figure out a way to maximize the effort and the talent on the team that they have and outperform the opposing teams on, you know, the field on Saturdays, or in this case on Friday and on November 5th on a Thursday. I mean, that's what Fresno State has to do. They're not going to cancel the rest of the season. So they need to find a way 
to maximize their strengths and try to exploit some weaknesses from the opposing teams. Maybe it means that, you know, that, that the coaches pour over film, you know, even closer and more in depth than they currently are. Maybe it means that the players, you know, have to go through some schemes that they're not comfortable with. I don't know what the answer is, but, um, I'm not comfortable saying that it is the offense or the defense that is a bigger problem right now. It is a team effort. This team is underperforming in a lot of areas, and I think Coach DeRuiter would be the first one to to agree with that because he's admitted it numerous times. Yeah, and I think that's a completely fair assessment. And I mean, okay, so rather than blaming somebody, let's let's be productive about this. Let's let's try and be positive and figure out, well, I mean, armchair figure out because, you know, now you know what you're going to listen to us. But if, if Andrew were the head coach and, and, and I'll be your OC or DC, let's start, I'll be your OC first. I'm coming to you. And what would, what would be maybe your one or two suggestions to get things going on offense? I come to you and say, you know, coach, uh, I'm trying to get these guys ready. I know they got the fire in them. You see them every day out there at practice. They're busting their ass. It's not happening on game day. What do we need to do to put our guys in the best position to win? We've tried a couple of different things. Maybe I need a fresh set of eyes on this. What do you got for me? What could I be doing on offense to get these guys into a, a, a bit more, uh, a few more successful situations? You know, again, um, it's really difficult for me to go into any specifics because I'm not with the team for the duration of practice. I don't spend 24-7 with these guys. I don't know what everybody's individual skill set is. But I do know, as do you, that Kilton Anderson, for example, is very good with his with his legs. I mean, he is a dual-threat guy, but he doesn't run the ball as often as he probably could. Maybe part of that is because now that Fresno State is down to two healthy quarterbacks, on scholarship anyway, you know, you don't want to risk an injury. Um, I think the best thing to do is to be unpredictable. You know, Boise State got famous for beating Oklahoma, but also for running a couple of trick plays. You know, you run the Statue of Liberty on a fourth down and whatever it was at the end of regulation, and it fooled everybody in the stadium. You know, then you have that halfback option. Then you have a um, hook and ladder, you know, for, uh, you know, for, for uh, no, I'm sorry, I had that backwards. It was the hook and ladder at the end of regulation, and then there was the Statue of Liberty for the go-ahead two-point conversion. You threw something in Oklahoma that they weren't expecting. And so that might be the key is misdirection, you know, pull out your magician's where's, bag Yeah, where's the Austin Wentworth hook and ladder, man? That's what I'm saying. I mean, obviously, you know, you need to make sure that the players can can execute and that they're prepared for it. But yeah, maybe maybe you do something like that. I mean, you know, when they had Burse, you know, on the team, he was a high school quarterback at Modesto Christian, and he threw, you know, a couple of passes. I remember a game at San Jose State in. Um, I want to say it was 2010, it might have been 2009, uh, when Rashad Evans caught a touchdown pass that was thrown by Isaiah Burse. Ryan Colburn was the quarterback of that team, and it was a simple, you know, handoff that turned into a wide receiver throw down the field, and it fooled everybody, and Evans was open by like 10 yards, and he caught the touchdown pass. I mean, maybe you got to do some crazy stuff out there to keep the opponent on its heels. And Utah State is a beatable team. I know they're a better team this year so far than they have been at this juncture in the past, but they are a beatable team. I know they beat Fresno State last year in overtime, and you know you could argue, obviously, that this UNLV team is better than last year's, and we know this Fresno State team is 
not as good as last year's team. So based on the statistics, UNLV should win tonight, but this is a beatable team. This is a game that Fresno State can win. You just, you know, you, you can't be predictable. And I think that's probably the key right now is to, you know, try and find ways to utilize your player's skills in ways that maybe you haven't before, and who knows? All you might need is a spark. You know, you may, maybe these players at this point just need a little bit more confidence that they can win because they're getting beat badly in all of these games, and you can only imagine what happens when they come out of the locker room at halftime. It's, oh, we got to go through another, you know, 30 minutes of this, or, you know, if the game goes overtime, more time added to that, obviously. But I, I don't know what the mindset is. It's just, you know, they need, you know, they need some positives out there to change things up and to keep the opponent on their heels. So maybe we'll see some of that tonight against UNLV. But, I, again, I don't know what the specifics are because I don't know if Jameer Jordan is comfortable throwing the ball. You know, I don't know if the offense is comfortable running a double reverse, you know, or maybe even having, you know, Martez Waller line up in the slot. I don't know. You know, I mean, I know that Robbie Rouse did that, and Derek Hart said numerous times that Rouse was, you know, the best route runner on the team. So in addition to being Fresno State's all-time leading rusher, he was really great, you know, running routes. I don't know if the running backs on this team can do that. Maybe you can use Dustin Garrison in, in other ways. It's It'll be interesting to see what happens. So, Understanding that, you know, again, not with specifics, but if, if, if I'm your DC and I come to you and I say, okay, coach, we've tried being a little bit more aggressive and, and trying to force the action up front and, and that left our cornerbacks on an island and, and, and ultimately wasn't maybe necessarily the best approach. So we dialed that back. We stayed a bit more contained with a bit more zone. Uh, and, and we found that we were getting run on a little bit too much and, and that guys were able to take advantage of yards and chunks. We need to figure out a happy medium here to keep these teams in front of us but allow us to play our physical brand of aggressive defense because that's where we function our best. What could we be doing maybe a little bit differently that would enable us to get back there? Because we've, we've been able to do it once this season. Disguise coverages, maybe, you know, have, uh, you know, change up the formations, you know, move back and forth between a 3-4 and a 4-3. The thing is, I, I don't know, um, because I don't know what will work with the personnel that they have on this team. Because right now, the only thing we know for certain is the execution is not working. So what did, um, was it Einstein or Edison? I, I think it was Einstein who, who said you only have to find, you know, one way to – Gosh, I'm I'm messing up my metaphor right now, but they keep doing. I think it was Edison. I, I didn't. Thank you. I didn't learn how to make. I didn't figure out one way to make a, how to make a light bulb. I learned two thousand ways not to make Thank one. You. I think was something like that. Yes, they just need to find one way to make it work because nobody's expecting this team to come out and shut out UNLV tonight. Nobody's expecting this team to put up fifty points. You know, nobody's expecting the defense to have three pick sixes. I think people just want to see Fresno State be competitive. And it's baby steps, you know. It's like even in the game against uh, Ole Miss, for example, right? You're not expecting, you know, you're not expecting the team to come out and erase a deficit in four consecutive possessions. You just want this team to make baby steps so you can think positively. And, for example, the nice thing that you can think of with a team that has 65 freshmen and sophomores on it is in two years when these guys are juniors and seniors, they'll have had that in-game experience, that invaluable experience. So right now it's frustrating, and hopefully they can weather the storm, but in a couple of years in the future, they could be really good players. 
You know, right now, though, you can't expect to say, oh, well, we're one in five. We need to win four out of our next five to get back to 500. It's probably not going to happen. They have a game at Air Force. They have a game at BYU. It's probably not going to happen. But if you can win one game, you get confidence. Maybe you play competitive in another game. So it's okay. We know we were right there. And then you just take it from there. So I, I think that's the best course of action is not to bite off more than you can chew. It's like a, uh, you know, a gambler, for example, right? You go to a casino, you play blackjack, you lose 200 bucks. Instead of saying, I'm going to win that 200 bucks back right now, it's what if you win 20 bucks? Okay, I could have walked away down 200. Now I walk away down 180. It's a win. I'll take it. And then you come back and fight another day instead of trying to bite everything back, you know, and, and risk losing more is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and, the, and, you know, I don't want to stick this all in the negative. So I want to be positive here for a second and, and get a couple of your thoughts before we let you go on some things. that uh, Look, I think that, that it's far too easy to be critical of a coaching staff when things are going wrong, and I think that journalists sometimes and can lose sight of when coaches do change things up or do make adjustments in an earnest attempt to get things back on track. I think we have a a tendency to overlook those things. And I think the true measure of somebody's objective reporting is their ability to acknowledge when the staff are doing things even uh, positively, even in the face of adversity. And I want to talk about two things that I've noticed with this squad and get your thoughts on it. The first is uh, Fresno State, for the first time, since, like, 2013, played one quarterback in in the entire game. And while Kilton Anderson obviously didn't have the game he would have wanted to have, we knew, and and, and I know he knew, that, I I mean, everybody knew, that Utah State was going to be a tough defense, and he was going to be forced into some mistakes. What I like about it is that Fresno State never backed off him no matter how many how bad the mistakes got. They made their decision to go with Kilton Anderson, and they stuck with it and are now going to stay with it through the remainder of the season. Fans will argue that this is coming, you know, about a year and a half too late. But, look, it's done now, and, and it could have gone on for even longer. So rather than focus on what could have been, I want to say – how positive is it for this team, and what does it say about the staff that they're naming a guy and sticking with him even if things go wrong? Like, they're, they're going to ride this out. The thing I saw from last Saturday's game against Utah State, especially with Kilton Anderson, was I liked how they took that chance on the very first play of the game. It was an overthrow, but – they took a chance. They threw it downfield, which to me said, you know what, we're not going to play uh, and run. You know, we're not just going to throw screen passes. We're not just going to hand off the ball. We are going to try and make a statement right off the bat. I wish they had more downfield throws, to be perfectly honest, because we know that Kilton Anderson has an arm and can make some of those throws. And even on the throw that he threw to um, Jameer Jordan for the touchdown, you know, catch. That was a great catch. The throw was a little inside, and it came close to being, you know, picked off or batted down, you know, not necessarily a turnover, but maybe an incomplete pass. But I like the fact that they were taking chances. You're going with your fourth-string quarterback, but, you know, you may not have opened up the entire repertoire, but you are at least putting him in a position 
to be able to make some of those, you know, runs and make some of those plays. I mean, the previous week against San Diego State, it seemed like Zach Greenlee was on the run every single play. You know, the protection for Kilton Anderson, obviously, you know, if it's consistent, that could be, you know, certainly a positive for the Bulldogs. But that's kind of what I want to see is opening up the playbook a little bit more. You know, you don't necessarily need the trick plays that I was referring to, you know, a couple minutes ago. But it would be really nice to, you know, not have a, well, it's first down, we're going to run it. Oh, it's second and medium size, we'll run it again. Third and long, okay, we'll throw it, and if it's an incomplete pass, we're going to punt. You don't want to have those types of plays. You want to put yourself in a position to move the ball downfield, sometimes methodically and sometimes really quick. There's nothing wrong with a two-play drive, you know, if it ends in points. And, the you know, the, the seven points that they got in um, – in the first half against Utah State, they came off uh, a special teams turnover. You know, I mean, Fresno State was deep in its own territory. When Swanson punted it away, great hit by Stratton Brown. It set them up. They were able to convert. That's something that you can't always count on. You can't always count on your opponent, you know, to, to turn the ball over and to make mistakes. When they do, you need to capitalize, and I think Fresno State has done a good job of that, especially on special teams this year. But in the overall game, the Bulldogs need to be more consistent. And the other thing that I want to talk about that I have definitely noticed, and and it's going to sound like a a shot at Schramm from the start, but rather this is meant to be complimentary. There has been some disagreement, you know, with the fan base and Schramm over uh, how he teaches young quarterbacks. And, And, you know, maybe it's just timing. Maybe it's just the camera always seeming to catch Schramm at the wrong moments. But, Fans have numerous times brought up the fact that they catch him and they see him yelling at, at, at you know, the quarterbacks during the game. Now, look, man, I, I think that different people respond to different styles of coaching, and, 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 and that's, that's whatever. You know, I, I, tend not to, I tend to think that yelling at quarterbacks in college isn't as effective, but I've talked to many recruits who prefer that style of coaching, and I think that that's just a personality thing. But I want to say this. This is where the compliment comes in. Even if Schramm doesn't necessarily feel like there's anything wrong with the way he coaches, he still made that adjustment. And when you see him on the sidelines now, he honestly looks like he's, he's putting more into understanding and walking these guys through post-mistake where things went wrong. The, the expression on his face and the micro-expressions, to me, seem more like, and I hate borrowing this phrase, but, but Pistol Rick Neuheisel just made it so usable, uh, teachable moments, if you will. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I see him interacting, even last week after Kipp's interceptions on the sidelines, I saw him trying to mentor Tilton up from the mistakes that were made rather than upgrade him and bring him back down. I think that this is a positive change from the coaching staff, at least showing that they're willing to try different things. Do you think that this could be helpful moving forward? Or, you know, maybe Shram, should, should he just stick with what got him to where he's at in his career? Well, the challenge is that everybody responds differently. So if you have a generic way of teaching, and I'll even use a classroom example for this, um, because I was this way when I was in high school. You know, I had a physics teacher who did not teach things in a manner that I completely understood when it came to test taking. But I was great in one-on-one private lessons. I worked through problems in my own way. 
you know, they were like, well, we need everybody to show all their work. It's, well, I work better in my head. I didn't want to show all my work, and if you're making me show all my work, it's going to take time away from me solving other problems. The, the parallel that I'm trying to say here is, you know, there are four quarterbacks on this Fresno State team who have all seen time in games this year, and none of them are Derek Carr. You know, I mean, I think it'll be a long time until we see a player of that caliber pass how, through. How old you know, is Dallas now? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I think it's going to be a long time until we see a player of that caliber pass through, you know, pass through Fresno again, and it's not a knock on any of the, the quarterbacks that the Bulldogs have or will have in the near future, but Derek Carr was that good. David Carr was that good. Those guys are NFL quarterbacks for a reason. Um, having said that, though, I don't think there's a problem with any of the quarterbacks that Fresno State has on its team, even if you want to go back to Zach Greenlee, who's been ping-ponging back and forth between second-string starter, uh, third-string at one point, etc. I mean, if you're in there in the game, the game is a lot faster than being there on the sideline. It's a lot faster than being there in practice. Schramm has been around the block. Coach DeRuiter has been around the block. He's now been a head coach going on his fourth season. Those guys know their players inside and out. And so I don't think taking a generic response, you know, to all four of those quarterbacks is going to be beneficial. I think you need to do what's best for each of those players. When they had Derek Carr, they let him, you know, make audibles at the line of scrimmage. They let him call the plays. You may not have that much faith in the guys that you currently have, and that's okay, but at the same time, you need to teach them in a way that is relatable to them. I don't have a problem if somebody yells at me, but at the same time, I want it to be constructive. You know, and, and this is you know, my own opinion because I don't hear those conversations that go on, but let's say I made a mistake. Okay, I make a mistake. I feel bad about the mistake. You're pointing out the mistake. Be constructive about it. Don't tell me that I'm terrible and I'm never going to you know, succeed in, in, in my chosen profession, etc. Say, look, you made a mistake. Let's find a way to make it better the next time. Because some people respond to that. But I don't have a problem if somebody yells at me if I make a mistake. I don't know if um, if that's how the other players, you know, or other players. If that's how the, I'm not a player. If that's how the players, you know, like it or the quarterbacks like it. But he needs to find a way to relate to each of the guys. And if he can do that, then they will have that trust and they will have that bond. And it's almost like a father-son relationship where you love that person even if they make a mistake, you still love them and you want them to succeed. And I think that right now is what Fresno State needs to build the most is that trust and confidence level because right now the teams are going out there um, or the team is going out there, but every consecutive week it's going out there and it's losing. And so eventually you start to doubt, you start to question, you know, if what you're doing is correct. If there is a process, and I trust the fact that Coach DeRuiter has a process in place, you know, it may be working towards something. Now, it may be working towards 2016, although, you know, the season isn't over certainly this year, but you know that the experience that these guys are getting will benefit them in the future. I don't know if this team is going to turn things around this year or not. I really don't. But I do know that everybody in that locker room is as frustrated and upset about what's happening as the Bulldog fans that are at, you know, the stadium or leaving the stadium early. So, again, we'll see what happens tonight. It's the, you know, it's the start of a new, you know, mantra week. Go 1-0 this week. And if Fresno State is able to do that, then, you know, who knows? We saw this team, and again, I'm not predicting this by any means, Josh, but we saw this team last year win the West Division with a 5-3 and conference record. Right now, Fresno State is 0-3. If the Bulldogs could rattle off five conference wins, it would put them in the same position as they were last year. So I don't know what's, you know, if they, I don't even know if that's possible this year based on, you know, what's happened with the, you know, with the other teams in the division, but we do know that Fresno State has 
things to work on and things to work to uh, work towards. Excuse me. The season is not over, um, and everybody in there is trying to get better. So we'll see if they're able to tonight. Yeah, and that's you know really that's what 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 you want to see moving forward, and that's why I wanted to highlight some of the positive changes made by the coaching staff because, like I said. I think the true measure of, of a reporter's ability to be objective is to sort of highlight what is working even when things aren't working. And and it's it's a low hanging fruit to, to 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 grab that the one that says, Oh, the staff are awful, so therefore everything they do must be awful. What you wanna see is is an improvement and you want to see uh, the team getting better and, and these are the things that help move those changes along. Uh you know but before we get you out of here, there's obviously an, uh, an important game tonight. Lose this one, and, and basically, for all intents and purposes, the season is over for Fresno. Um, it's at home. Uh, the Bulldogs are not expecting anything close to what you would call a turnout. Uh, it may not even qualify for a turn-up. Um, what are you expecting tonight? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, and you know, I mean, I guess just give me your two positives and, and, and likely two negative predictions. Um, if you're asking me to predict tonight's game, I don't oh, think... Oh, no, Fresno- no, no, just predictions. What we like to do as, as, as a site is we like to put out predictions of something that will happen during the game. It's probably a bit easier than picking the score because you at least feel confident enough in what you've seen out of the team to make a, uh, what would you call that there, an educated guess on what will happen in the game? Like, say, for instance, before the Utah game, based on the way Fresno's defense had played, uh, particularly their run defense, I said Devontae Booker was going to get his season going against the Bulldogs. See, he did. Uh, but stuff like that. It doesn't have to be a score prediction, but give me two positives and two negatives that you're pretty sure you'll see in tonight's game against UNLV. I don't think Fresno State's going to win this game. I, I think it'll be a competitive game. I do. I think it'll be a certainly a much closer game than Utah State, and I do think it'll be a closer game than San Jose State. And I do expect Fresno State, to, you know, to, to come back with the, you know, with the fight and with the tenacity of a team that really at this point has nothing to lose. I know it's a short week, but it's a short week for both teams, and UNLV has to travel here, whereas Fresno State obviously has the game at home. It's a nationally televised game. It's on ESPN2, so you know that recruits across the nation, especially on the West Coast, will be watching. Uh, I I do think, though, that Fresno State will put up a tough uh, fight. I expect Kilton Anderson to limit the mistakes. He threw three interceptions last Saturday. I don't expect that to happen um, tonight. Maybe he'll have one pick. Maybe he'll have none, but I certainly don't expect three. And I, I do expect the defense to, you know, to, to, to come out with that little extra adrenaline rush and maybe, you know, maybe get a couple of, couple of big QB hits out there, a couple of sacks, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. And if Fresno State is able to get good field possession, the Bulldogs can, you know, can, can do some damage. Um, but I do think that UNLV is a much improved team from last year. And last year's team beat Fresno State, as we talked about, in overtime. And this is a team that's coming off an overtime loss to San Jose State in a game that, you know, the Rebels put up 17 fourth-quarter points, and they did it with their backup quarterback. And if you want to use the transitive property, we know what San Jose State did to Fresno State earlier this season. So based on that and the fact that UNLV is also trying to make a name for itself on national TV in the West Division, I do think that the Rebels are a little better than the Bulldogs right now. But I expect this to be a close game, and I think as we were talking about, that is a positive. 
you know, obviously Fresno State would love to win the game, and if it happens, that is a bigger positive. But being competitive in a game this season is something the Bulldogs haven't done since um, the opener against Abilene Christian, at least not for four quarters. All right, and if you thought you were going to get out of here without having to do something a little bit tougher than that, now that we're basically at the midway point, I'm going to ask you, give me the same rundown, two positives, two negatives, for the, but apply that to the remainder of the season. How are the Bulldogs going to finish this out? What do you reasonably think you're going to see? Well, based on the... Based on the teams in the Mountain Division and the West Division and what they've been able to accomplish this year, um, I still think that Fresno State has a chance to get to four, maybe five wins this year. I don't know if it's going to happen. Tonight is a winnable game. The Nevada game is a winnable game. Uh, I even think the Colorado State game is a winnable game because we've seen the Rams, uh, you know, be two and four this season. And that game is in Fresno. It's going to be on Senior Day on November 28th. I think the Bulldogs have a chance at that game as well. I think the Hawaii game is going to be difficult because even even if Fresno State is having a year like 2013 year, it's still difficult to go to the islands and win. And that year's team, that Fresno State team, had a 42 to three lead and saw the Rainbow Warriors come all the way back to be you know, within five points. It was 42-37, and they threw it in the end zone twice and had two chances, you know, to potentially win that game. So I think the Hawaii game is probably going to be a difficult task for the Bulldogs, uh, but they could beat Nevada, they could beat UNLV, and I think they could beat Colorado State. I don't see them beating Air Force. I don't see them beating BYU. So that's my prediction, that Fresno State could potentially get to three, four, you know, maybe five wins if they're able to, you know, to, to get lucky in one of those games, and you never, you never know. But at the same time, based on the way they've played, it is also difficult to predict that will happen. So they're... In my opinion, they're definitely going to have a below 500 record this season, but they can salvage this season if they're able to put some positives on the board. So I probably predict somewhere between a three and nine or a five and seven season for the Bulldogs, based on what I've seen at this point. All right, and then my final question to you before I ask you what you've got forthcoming uh, with the Bulldog Insider and any other projects you may be working on, uh, this one is super easy. Are Barry and Caitlin ever going to hook up? Are they just going to dance around that for the remainder of time? Should we preface the fact that we're back now talking about the Flash first? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, well, you know. I figured I figured nobody thought we were talking about some dude on the team named Caitlin. <laughs> well, but there might be some guy on the team named Barry, right? I mean, That's I haven't true. looked at the entire I haven't looked at the entire uh, walkout roster, so I'm not sure. Um, well, you know how the comic book story goes. Eventually, he's going to be with Iris. We we all know that. Um, I don't know if they're going to. There's definitely been that type of. Uh, of tension, but it's weird because it's not as much as, you know, in like the Superman mythos where you'll see Clark and Lois have that sexual tension and it won't actually lead to anything because you like having him make those, like I love the Lois, uh, the, the New Adventures of Superman, the Lois and Clark TV show that was on ABC in the mid-90s because he would make those lame excuses like they'd be on a date, he's like, oh, I have to go return this video. You know, and of course that's how old the show was. They were still using VHS tapes on that show. But he'd be like, I have to go return this video when he would change into Superman and go save somebody. And she'd be like, we're in the middle of an intimate conversation. Couldn't it wait? And I love the fact that he couldn't tell her the reason why he was leaving. So I don't think that Barry and Caitlin are going to get together because if you do that, then, you know, then you also have to deal with the coworkers who are kind of getting together and that could change the dynamic of people you work with. 
Um, I, I don't know. I, like you, like you said, I'm interested to see where this show goes. I love the fact that they are introducing, you know, Jake Garrick into it, and I like the fact that they got those, uh, you know, they, they they got those villains that you introduced in the first season, and you keep bringing back Captain Cold, you know, and Heatwave and those guys. So Snart um, is the greatest man. He, I love he is. Leonard Snart. And Wentworth Miller was great in Prison Break. I ended up watching that show a few years ago on Netflix. I didn't see His when it was on live, Wentworth. but it was great. His name is Wentworth, dude. Like. That's how you know he's either going to be a badass or the most pretentious jerk you've ever met in your life. Like, right. Wait, I, I'm Wentworth. sorry. Did, did, I, did I say Austin Wentworth? I meant Wentworth Miller. I think no, I you said, said no, Wentworth. you said, you know, you said Wentworth Miller. I okay. was just saying his name is Wentworth. Like, that's, you know, that's like when people were asking if that recruit Eldridge Massington third came from a wealthy family. Like, dude, his name is Eldridge. Do the math. <laughs> um, so before you get out of here, man, what do you have coming up? Where can fans catch you? And do you have any interesting projects getting set there on that their uh, nifty television show of yours? Well, anybody who has a TV that's tuned into either 47 or 24 can see us a lot because we have four specialty shows that we're currently uh, putting on right now. Um, with the NFL on CBS on Thursday nights, we do an NFL show on 47. Tonight we have a high school football show on 47, plus we'll be covering the Bulldogs uh, on both stations. Um, then normally on Saturdays we'll be covering the Bulldogs, but tomorrow becomes an easier day since the game is tonight. And then, yeah, on Sunday... Bulldog Insider on KC24, uh, it'll air after Sunday Night Football on NBC, and then we have a special KC newscast, so usually it starts around 9 to 9.15-ish, I want to say. Um, Coach DeRuder will be in studio this week, um, talking about, uh, obviously, what happens tonight. Um, we'll look ahead to basketball season, the uh, Preseason polls uh, for the men's team came out this week. Marvell Harris named preseason player of the year. The Bulldogs are picked fifth, so we'll delve a little bit deeper uh, into that. I have a guest coming on to talk about Fresno State Magazine, which is coming out uh, this weekend, I believe, with its uh, newest issue. So we'll find out what's uh, what's inside that and what's in store for uh, for, for future uh, issues as well. And there's a lot of interesting stuff coming on at Fresno State this week. They have a... Um, lacrosse exhibition on Wednesday against a team from New Zealand. There's a, uh, (coughs) excuse me, there's a, um, there's some type of softball uh, event going on Wednesday as well where they're playing uh, an exhibition against uh, like a Team USA fast pitch team and Andrea Duran, uh, you know, who's from Selma and I believe is in a couple of Hall of Fames is going to be there as well. So uh, we'll try and preview all that stuff. And uh, we always have an NFL segment with the ex-Bulldogs and, you know, in the league. Raiders are on a bye this week, so we won't be talking about Derek Carr as much, but who knows, maybe Ryan Matthews will, uh, you know, score for the Eagles again. Uh, and just, you know, we try to, we try to just keep up to date with everything that's going on. So, uh, if you, if, if your TV is on 47 or 24, you will find us on some platform. And I'm jealous, man, cause, uh, I, 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 I want to be that busy. No, uh, you don't. You don't. You honestly, you honestly don't because, I don't know when I sleep, you know. I, I mean, I love football season. I absolutely do. But covering it becomes very, very difficult. Uh, it could be a grind sometimes. And it's funny because you hear all the coaches, you know, talk about how they don't get a chance to sleep. They don't see their families, And you don't even have to write. Well, but the difference is they are getting paid a lot more than I am to do what they do. Granted, my job is not tied into wins and losses, you know, for the team, but I also have to have my hand in, like, five different pots right now because we don't just cover Fresno State football. You know, we cover 
high school football. We cover, you know, the Fresno Grizzlies. You know, we're we're making a, a lengthy playoff run, which is something that hadn't happened in in the last 15, 17 years. So, um, you know, trying to trying to keep up to date with everything that's going on, you know, means being very organized is important, and it also means, you know, trying to you know, to trying to unfortunately have to figure out what is the most important thing to cover and stuff that you might be able to to do without because we can't make it to every single event. We just don't have the resources. So trying to do the best that we can. Well, nobody does it better than you, my friend. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think as fans slowly start to put football season behind them, as there are some fans who already have, uh, they're asking us to get into basketball. So uh, I think coming up here, we'll have to have you back on and do a basketball exclusive podcast so we can sort of, I don't know, start fresh, right? Like talk about a season that hasn't gone sour. It'll be, be interesting. I don't know what that's like. At least not. Uh, well, you know what, though? I, I mean, this, this is a basketball season that could go very well for Fresno State. You know, it's it's worth speculating on because this is the most talented team, you know, on paper that Rodney Terry has had in his five seasons here. And this is a team that is a senior-laden team with experience. They have the most returning starters of any team in the Mountain West Conference. I actually voted them third in the Mountain West preseason poll. The actual poll came out and they were fifth. I think Fresno State is going to surprise some people this season, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that they win 20 games. I'm not going to predict they go to the NCAA tournament or even the NIT, although I do think that they are going to make some noise because they have, uh, you know, they, they, they have an easier start to the season than they've had in years past, and they've also been playing since the summer because they took a preseason trip to Italy. So these guys have already bonded. They have Jerry Wainwright back as an associate head coach. I think they're going to be really good this year. And I think that's the perfect place to wrap up this show, wrap up this episode, and uh, say, you know, man, uh, it, if you can leave them on a positive note, always do so. Uh, Andrew, I can't thank you enough for your time. We'll get you back on. You're closer uh, to the start of basketball season, which is just around the corner. Uh, we'll find out what happens tonight. We're, you know, Mark Ford will be there. KC24 CBS will be there. It is going to be, hopefully, a much, much better evening for the Bulldogs. And uh, I look forward to talking with you more in the future about Fresno State. Sounds good, Josh. Yeah, anytime. All right, man. Thanks, bud. You got it. So that was our very own Josh Webb and Andrew Martin really hitting the discussion deep about this Fresno State football team. And, well, let's face it. There is a lot going on with this team and a lot that needs to be figured out on what what could be done for the for the Fresno State football team to turn this one around. So hopefully tonight will be the stepping the stepping stone for them to do that. So you know, just damn it. <clears throat> now that was our very own Josh Webb and Andrew Martin talking well, basically just talking about everything that is going wrong with this Fresno State team. And, well, uh, let's just hope that tonight is a stepping stone in the right direction as far as getting this this season turned around. Now, Fresno State, you know, it is it is a winnable game against UNLV, but, you know, can they do it? We'll, we'll soon find out because it's going to be happening here very shortly. So, And for those of you who listen to this podcast 
already, uh, you know, after this game has happened, uh, I do apologize. We did try to get this out earlier this week, but, you know, time constraints sometimes just catch up with us. And But we are working hard to try to bring as much content to the website as we can. So stay tuned because we are continuing to dig into some information. Like always, I want to go ahead and thank everyone for listening and uh, tune in again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. And if you'd like to follow me, you can do so by following me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. And also, we have our Facebook page. So head over to Facebook and just look up the Red Wave Report and, uh, and you know, become a fan of the page. I do uh, tend to put a lot of information on that website as well. So, you know, follow us. And uh, as always, you know... Join the conversation on our uh, on our uh, boards over at the uh, barkboard.com. Our forums are always hopping with good information, especially our premium board. So if you're not a premium member already, make sure you get that subscription and uh, and join because that is where we will put on a lot of our inf- insider information. So again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time.